Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? And now, and now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet your ass, man. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host Eddie Trunk. Hey everybody, what's going on? It's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday wherever you get your podcast totally free. Thank you for subscribing, listening and checking it out. It is appreciated. As I tell you every week, the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk Podcast originated on my SiriusXM radio show, Trunk Nation, which you can hear on volume, channel 106, live weekdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern, and anytime you want, audio, video, and more on the SiriusXM app. We have a special all-Canadian podcast for you this week. Coming up a little bit later on, an interview with Mike Levine, the bass player from the band Triumph. Mike called in to talk about the 40th anniversary of the Triumph album Allied Forces, which is actually my favorite album in their catalog, and also their upcoming documentary, which since we've done this interview, it has been revealed that documentary will indeed come out in the fall. Mike talks a little bit about the documentary, and I can update that interview slightly and tell you that uh, in the couple weeks since this interview happened, they have now set a release date. So looking forward to that coming out towards the back end of the year. We'll talk to Mike about Triumph coming up in just a little bit, but the first part of our Canadian doubleheader this week is with the legendary guitarist of the band Rush, Alex Lifeson. Alex joined me a couple weeks ago to talk about new music that he has released and new music that he's working on and also a brand new guitar that he has released, a signature guitar through Epiphone. It's great to talk to Alex. Both Alex and Mike are old friends and have been frequent guests on my shows over the decades. And Alex is a guy that really, since Rush disbanded and Neil Peart died, we haven't heard much from. So it was awesome to catch up with him. We'll bring in Alex Lifeson first. We'll follow it up with Mike Levine. An all-Canadian doubleheader, two great rock artists for you this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Don't forget, follow me on social media for info and updates on everything going on at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com is the website. We got two great interviews, so let's not waste any time. Let's get right to them. Coming up first, right after this, it's Alex Lifeson of Rush. 
and it's always such an honor and privilege to be joined by this guy, of course, me and many people listening, lifelong fans of his band Rush, and it's been far too long since we've had a an on-the-record conversation or discussion or even just a hello, and it's great to see him because we're doing this on Zoom as well. Joining me is legendary guitarist Alex Lifeson. Alex, wonderful to see you and talk to you. How have you been? How you doing? Okay. Good, Eddie. Really good, actually. It's been, uh, you know, f- such a difficult time for all of us in this past uh, year of the pandemic. And uh, it's nice to be coming through it and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and and reconnecting with everybody and starting to live life again. You know, we're doing this on Zoom and people will be able to see this on the SiriusXM app when it's posted. But as we were talking during the commercial break before we came on, I'm looking at your backdrop and it looks like a guitar store of some sort. And I'm seeing all these (laughs) amazing guitars behind you. I said, Alex, are you in a guitar center or where are you? And you said this is actually a a home studio that you have Uh, for the audience watching. Explain where you're at a little bit. Well, I've always had a home studio, but generally it's been in a house. Um, we moved recently in March and the library that was in this apartment, I converted into a studio. So I had the room treated for sound um, and I brought in a bunch of my old analog gear and uh, a bunch of guitars from my house in the country and um, and set myself up here. And it's great. It's a great working environment. We're, on, we're up on the 25th floor with a beautiful view of the outlying area around Toronto, right downtown. Uh, and it's an exciting, inspiring place to work. Uh, and certainly that's been the case in the last little while. It's been pretty active around here. So do you use that space just to work or do you live there as well? Well, if you ask my wife, I live in here <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, no, this is our this is our apartment. We, we actually live here and it's just one of the rooms that, um, you know, I had in our last place we had an office that we shared so it was okay but i would drive charlene crazy uh, working in there and i didn't want to work on headphones and uh so when we decided to move and have a little more space i thought for sure i've got to have a nice working environment and that's exactly what i have here really i love it it's a very accurate room it's really tight so i'm hearing everything that i want to hear from the speakers and uh, I've been able to do some some I really good work here, not only playing and recording, but also some mixing. So how so? Well, real quickly, how many do, how many guitars do you have? Because we behind you, I can see at least a dozen. It looks like, but in your in your guitar arsenal over the decades, I, I imagine you're a bit of a guitar nerd, like many guitar players. Uh, what do you have a? a warehouse so to speak do you have a stash of them have you collected rare guitars we all know i had getty on for his bass book and i've getty's been on with me a couple times about that book and we all know the passion he has for the bass are you the same when it comes to guitars do you have that same sort of passion for the instrument and do you have a big collection like getty does you know i i never started out to be a collector and although i've collected some instruments of you know, sort of some kind of value in terms of the vintage or the particular model. I was never a big collector. Now, of course, 45 years later, these brand new guitars that I got back then are vintage instruments. So um, I probably have, uh, let's see, I, 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 you're pretty close. I have 17 guitars here on the wall. Uh, I have another 
uh, 08 acoustics on the other side of, of uh, my desk here. And then in the corner, I've got my mandola and mandolin. I've got a banjo over here, much to my uh, wife's dismay. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I have a violin here. I, I have lots of really great instruments that I can utilize and work with. I probably have a total of somewhere around 120 instruments. Getty, on the other hand, I think is around 350. Uh, and he did a lot of collecting when he was preparing for his book. Um, and he had also collected some six, six string instruments as, as well. So, uh, but you know, he is a collector. He's always been that way. His baseball memorabilia collection is amazing. And uh, so he's, he's got that bug. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So you talk about this workload that you're doing and having this studio and the flexibility to be able to record and create when you want to, which is wonderful. You know, I think to the outside fan, uh, between COVID, between losing Neil, between the band retiring, everything that's gone on with you in, in recent years, the perception might be, well, those guys are just off the radar. They're not doing anything. They're not re writing. They're not recording it sounds like the opposite, even though it, it really hasn't been public to this point, the opposite, opposite actually has been pretty much true. Has it not? Because it sounds like you've got, we know we've got two songs coming. We know we've got some stuff that we're going to talk about coming down the line, but it sounds like you've taken recent years to, to really maybe go into these, into the studio and record and write, whether it be for yourself or other artists. Is that, would that be accurate? Yeah, it is. I mean, I've, I've always written on my own. I think uh, when really the, the germ of, uh, of Victor, which is 25 years now, um, really happened because, you know, Ged was expecting his second child and he wanted to take a year off and I didn't want to sit around and not do anything. And so I started working on that project and I have a lot of material from them that I recorded over the years. And uh, and I'd like to release it slowly on my website a little bit at a time and just take this little trip down my own uh, musical memory memory lane. I think that'd be kind of fun to share some of those ideas. They're sort of demos and, and maybe more produced demos, but uh, it's an indication of where I was at musically at that, at that time. Um, with the more current stuff, you know, when we finished the tour in 2015, I started writing almost immediately. I just, I wanted to keep, you know, my chops. I wanted to keep in shape. And um, so a lot of these tracks, including the, the two that are on the website were, were written, I guess, four or five years ago uh, initially. And of course I, I dick around with them over and over and over again. I replace tracks. I add things, take things out. I remix them a couple thousand times. Um, but I guess it, at the end of the day, it's all about keeping active within the scope of what I know how to do and, and have experience and have done for a long time. And it's really, really satisfying. It don't need to promote it or, or anything like that when I'm doing it. It's more an exercise to keep me in shape. Of course, now, after enjoying my retirement for the last five years, everything's changed in these last two weeks. I avoided uh, social media forever. Uh, I was very you know, protective of my privacy and I didn't want to get involved with the way it works with all the, the crazy stuff that goes on. It's, but, um, you know, I, I started a, this um, 
website so that we could have access to a lot of things, including providing some of my music uh, and my Instagram account, which is a new thing for me. And it's been super active and it coincides with the release of the guitar and everything. And we kind of had to do it, but it's been a fascinating couple of weeks getting lots of activity and interest on, on that account and uh, lovely comments from people that are happy to know that I'm still alive and still doing things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, I wasn't aware you had an Instagram, so I'm glad you said it and we'll let our audience know. So they follow you. Is it just your name? Is it at Alex Lifeson? It's the real lurks. Oh, okay. Uh, some, let me guess. Somebody had Alex Lifeson and wanted a million dollars to give it to you. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, I didn't bother looking into that, but uh, this, it, the real lurks works fine because All I right. am the real lurks. Yes. Well, we will definitely look that up and I'll be sure to follow you. And uh, it's, it's, it's never too late to dive into the wacky world of social media, Alex. Oh, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You got, if you want to look at the comments, you have, a, have to have a thick skin, but otherwise you can uh, just have some fun and post on it. But uh, yeah. I, I would I would think the vast majority of people following you, it's nothing but love as as it should be. Hey, let, let me ask you about, uh, you know, the last few years about your health. Now, you mentioned the R40 tour, and I know at that time we had done an interview and you had done an interview with Rolling Stone and you had mentioned you were dealing with some issues uh, with arthritis. You talked about some medication that was helping you. I know that at times it may have in, impacted uh, your playing a little bit on the last tour. How are you now? How is your health now with that and overall? How do you feel? You know, I miss working out. I kind of have not uh, followed my regimen like I normally would, which is, you know, working out a few days a week with a trainer. Um, I love it because I hate it and I don't want to do it. But because he's there, I got to go. And <laughs> as soon as that was over <laughs> with the pandemic, I was like, okay, great. I'll, I'll see him next time. Um, and I, I actually, I, I really, really missed that. You know, I play golf and tennis was off limits until recently. Um, in terms of my general health, I mean, my health is great. Yeah. I have, you know, psoriatic arthritis. I've had it for many, many years. Uh, and I'm really fortunate. I've, I started taking care of it early on and a lot of the medication available uh, for sufferers of arthritis have really come a long way in the, in the last years. These biologics work uh, in, incredibly well and I'm on two particular ones. So they work great. They really help my fingers a lot. I don't have any complaints or any issues. Once in a while, there's some inflammation and it's a little harder, but it works out. And, and so long as I keep moving and active, it's, it's not bad at all compared to some people. It's, it's, it's nothing. I I'm fine. I don't even really think about it. So. Uh, that's great to hear because, you know, you hear all sorts of things from guitar players and these musicians that we know and love as they get older today alone, yep. Frank Marino, a Canadian guitar player who's quite legendary yep. announced he's not going to be able to tour for undisclosed medical issues. So you, 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 it's great to hear some positive news about health because we're all getting older and we all have to watch it and, and take care of ourselves. But especially you being a guitar player that, you know, having some issues with your hands or wrists or fingers obviously could be, you know, a scary thing, I would think. Yeah, it is a little bit, but at the same time, I find that, you know, your brain is a powerful thing. <laughs> Um, sometimes it's a stupid thing, but, but generally it's pretty powerful and, uh, you can work around these sort of issues, 
uh, I just tell myself it's uh, it's nothing, and and I, I I can trick myself that way. I'm easily tricked, in fact. So uh, it's it's really not bad at all. You talk about the workaround. Last thing on this, uh, I was a few years ago. I had the honor of touring with Deep Purple and hosting their shows, and we went through Mexico together. And Steve Morse, who's been their guitar player for like 20 years, uh, I was watching him. I was in the dressing room pre-show and what he was doing to his hands and his wrists and the way he was taping and putting lotion. And he was telling me of all these issues he has and that now Steve has completely changed the way he plays guitar, the way he actually holds chords and fingers things because he physically can't do it that way anymore. So there are, I guess, and I'm not a musician, but I guess there are workarounds that maybe in some ways even reinvent your playing to a degree uh, that you ha are kind of forced to do as you get older, whether it's drummers notoriously have issues with joints and shoulders or whatever, or guitar players, it's not uncommon. Yeah, no, it's, I guess it's not. Um, but, you know, everybody deals with it in a different way. For Steve, um, you know, that guy played all the time. I remember when we were working together, we'd show up for sound check at four o'clock and he'd already be at the venue walking around the building, just playing his guitar. I, I, he must have played for hours and hours and hours before doing the show on any given night. Uh, the guy was so disciplined and I really admired that. I wish I could have done the same thing. Um, but maybe it's a good thing because my fingers aren't so bad and his are. So <laughs> I win. <laughs> Alex, how's the reaction been to people were so excited to get Cobble Blues and Spy House a week or so ago, uh, just because not only are they 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 wonderful songs, but it just showed people that, you know, you know, the Rush fans, you know, the world is just dying for stuff from you and Getty at this point, uh, individually together, whatever it may be. So it just felt great to have something new to talk about from from Alex Lifeson. The response to the songs, now that they've been out there for a little bit, what have you been hearing from fans? Very, very positive. Um, you know, the quirky songs, uh, Pebble Blues started out as a blues song. I just, you know, they're all exercises for me. And I, I generally do these things just to keep my chops uh, and, and keep active and, uh, and keep active as a songwriter as well. So I started out as, you know, I thought, I, you know, I'd like to do something bluesy today. Uh, so I put down a drum pattern and then I started manipulating the drum pattern. So it was a little quirkier. Uh, and then I think I started playing a solo over like a bluesy solo over that beginning and then building all the other stuff. Uh, and then it took this Eastern kind of turn. And there was that element of it, hence the name Kabul Blues. Um, at, at once I sort of got this uh, arrangement in shape, I looked at the background and I thought that it would be so cool to make this deep and mysterious and dark uh, and start doing all kinds of um, trippy psychedelic stuff, lots of backwards guitar and little quirky things that run off. And, and that was really a, a wonderful creative exercise creating a lot of those sounds because most of them you know there are a couple of sampled sounds here and there but most of them i created myself just by um getting in the right mood and then uh and then fooling around with all the, the techno uh, technological or uh, technical stuff to to create those 
colorings and atmospherics and shading and the combination of those three approaches I think really works in a in an interesting Alex Lifeson sort of way. And Spy House, same sort of thing? Spy House was the same sort of thing. Again, it was just, you know, what can I do with this simple riff and how can I make it more interesting? And, uh, it, you know, it started out as it does and then it goes into this, you know, sort of glorious uh, chorus of orchestrated parts and um and again, it was just building and layering and throwing on some vocal uh, samples. Uh, and then a typical solo that you don't hear very much anymore these days. So then um, it's only, what, two minutes long or two and a half minutes long. So it was a, a really a fun little exercise to do that one. Um, all of these songs are going to be included in the uh, Envy of None project. And Maya has already done a vocal for Cabo Blues, which is really, really cool. Um, and she's got some ideas for a couple of the other songs. So I'm just waiting for those as we're mixing them now as well. So this news came out, I guess, the, a day or two ago in an interview. Envy of None is going to be, just for clarity, is it going? Is Envy of None a new band? Is it a project? Is it the name of an Alex Lifeson solo record? Fill the fans in on exactly what Envy of None, which is a great name, by the way. <laughs> you know, I mean, not something anybody wants to be, but I, I, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, tell me about Envy of One and exactly Envy of None and exactly what it is. So it's a project, really. It's it started out with Andy Kerr, and Andy played in a band called Coney Hatch. Um, they were a pop, popular Canadian band in the eighties and nineties, and they had uh, some success. Uh, and he worked at Anthem Records for for many years as our A and R guy there. So we have a, a long history with Andy, and when we came off the road in 2015 Andy was working on some stuff on his own um he was looking to get some music on you know placements for tv and uh and film and he reached out and asked if I would play some guitar stuff on some of the things that he'd written and they were all just rough demos at the time and I, I you know and I love doing that sort of thing and I said yeah sure I'll do it and I did you know worked on a song and didn't hear anything for a while and then uh, I heard from him and he said, you know, I got another song, if you don't mind. And sure, I'll do that. And I did that. And we had another singer that was uh, a female singer that was on the early versions of a couple of those songs. And then he just he uh, came across Maya and they decided to do some work together. Um, and then that started growing and he introduced me to Maya. And then I used Maya for a project that I did with Marco Miniman a couple of years ago uh, for a song called uh, Lover's Calling. And she did a fantastic job on that. Her voice is, is very soft, delicate, fragile, but she's very bright. Her lyrics are, are very, very thoughtful and great imagery. And that contrasted so well to the kind of music that we were, we were writing together. And even though it started out casually and we were using plugins and not taking it too very seriously, it all changed when, when Maya came along and then we started really building the tracks. Um, Alf Annabellini is also involved and Alf is, uh, uh, he's a guitar player and also an engineer at Metalworks and, and he teaches uh, engineering uh, arts. So with the four of us, we shared files, it started moving around and we started updating the files and getting a little more serious about how we were recording 
uh, and then more songs started to develop. And so now, well, I guess about four years later, after the very beginning, um, we're in the final mix stages. We have a couple of uh, things that we're waiting for Maya lyrically or vocally to just drop into the mixes and then we're, we're set to go. So hopefully, I don't know, I was gonna say later this summer, but more likely uh, sometime in the fall, we should have uh, everything done. It's 10 songs. We wanna release it as an album. It's very uh, challenging these days. I didn't realize the record industry was gone and has been replaced by something I don't recognize at all. So <laughs> it's, it's uh, we're trying to determine how we're gonna uh, move forward on this. We have the uh, interest of a couple of companies um, that would like to have a listen and, and see if there's something that they could do. But uh, at one way or another, we'd like to get this music out before the end of this year. And I'm really, really excited about it. It's really quite different. A lot of it is, is dark and menacing. Some of it is poppy, but in a very cool sort of hip way. Uh, some is country-ish. Some is uh, uh, ballady, but I, I, it's not, I don't know, it's not in a very kind of traditional way. There's some really great stuff. And I was very, very um, experimental with a lot of the guitar sounds that I did, trying to create textures and atmospherics that are not guitar centric. I mean, there's lots of guitar playing on it, but it's always so much fun for me to try to create sounds and, and tones and and uh and colorings um with the guitar without it sounding like a guitar mm. so alex you're talking about putting out this new music and again it's called envy of none there will be an album as you said coming towards the end of the year and you made a comment about not recognizing the music industry and what it is now and i've uh, you know a lot of my friends that are in the business as well who have been in for a very long time like you have the same sentiment it's kind of hard to process what it, what it is now the the one underlying thing that people take away is where it's at is live like if you don't go out on the road and play to promote and support something you're going to sell the first couple days to your hardcore base and then you're it's pretty much going to go off the radar so to that end when this comes out do you have a desire to go out and play live with this band that you're assembling um, hmm, that's a good question. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think so. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about it, but we don't want to, you know, get too far ahead of what's, what we really need to do. And that's, is concentrate on finishing the record and getting it out. Maya is a lot younger than, than, uh, any of us are. She's in her, her um, early mid twenties. Um, and she would love to take this out on the road and, and, and do a proper tour. And, you know, it all depends on how it goes. If it's, if it's, if there's a good response, then maybe we'll look at it. And I would probably uh, at least consider a handful of shows. I'm not saying that we are, but uh, at that time, I would think about it anyways, if it was limited to something like that. But frankly, after 40 years of touring and uh, and, uh, you know, a half a dozen years before that playing bars and living in crappy hotels room and small hotel bars and all of that, I, I don't have a, uh, much of a desire to be sitting in a hotel room staring at the TV, you know, for 22 hours of the day for the, the two hours of uh, the excitement. And uh, 
I don't really miss the live um, experience. I've done it a few times since in, in like a smaller, smaller venues, smaller projects, some mostly a charity stuff. And it's, a, it's fun, you know, when it's a, for a couple hundred people and, uh, and I, and I don't mind, but to do the whole big production, I'm not so sure. I just, uh, I'm very lazy by nature. I'm, I don't know if I'd want to, you know, dive into that again. So, you know, it's interesting about that when R40 happened, and I've said this many, many times to me, there's no band that ended on a better note and, and ended in a better way than Rush. I, and, and I'm not saying that because you're just sitting here. I've said that repeatedly. I see so many bands that, in my opinion, stay too long at the party. When they finally do play their final tour, it's, uh, it's a shell of what the band was. Maybe there's one original guy. We see it too much. With Rush, it couldn't have been more different. I went to the show in Denver. I, I remember I interviewed you there. Uh, the, the set, the way it was constructed, the way the band sounded was just incredible. What's interesting about what you're saying is that that being the final tour largely attributed to, at the time, Neil not wanting to continue. But it sounds like, and I've never heard your take on this, maybe around that point you were kind of okay with it winding down as well if you were at that point somewhat fatigued by touring, that you you were kind of okay also with that being the the, the last tour as it turned out to be? Well, you know, we were... uh, uh, in our early sixties, when that tour ended, um, I, after the number of dates that we did do, which was about half of what we would normally do, we were all starting to feel the fatigue as you normally would. And we would, had it been a normal tour, we would have gone out for probably another month and then taken a month off, then picked it up or maybe a couple months off and then picked it up for another three or four months. Um, I, Personally, and I think the same for Ged, we were really excited about the show, the presentation of the show, the whole concept of, you know, going back through our history. I thought we were all playing really, really well. Um, And I probably could have continued to do another 30 shows. And uh, I think Getty felt the same way, but it was becoming really difficult for Neil to play at that level. And unless he could play 100% at that level, he really didn't want to do any more shows. And he didn't want to be that person that should have, you know, taken it. And it was hard for him. Three-hour show playing the way he played. Uh, it's a miracle that we, he was even able to play. And he had some issues through that tour. You know, he had an infection in his feet and he could barely walk. Never mind, you know, playing a bass drum the way he did. And never complained or anything like that. So... It was time. And, uh, and in retrospect, it couldn't have been better because we were playing great. And we finished on such a high note. Fans were so happy. I mean, with the, with the performance, um, all things were right. That was the great way to ensure our, our legacy and be remembered for those guys, for being that band that played that way. I honestly would hate to be working now for example and not being able to play a song because my fingers are just killing me and and not playing as well and making all those mistakes i made enough mistakes but now (laughs) way too many um so all in all it really turned out to be the the opportune time for us to to end a long career you know 
not a lot of bands lasted 40 years of that regular touring and and many 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 albums and and all of that stuff so and the same guys and the same guys that's unprecedented so that's remarkable as well yeah yeah it, it, tr- it truly is you know you know what's funny is you're talking about like how you're fine with not being on the road so when getty was on with me for the book a couple times uh, i had asked him what he had been up to and he said to me that he had been doing a lot of traveling and i said my god after like 50 years traveling are you insane like i would think i'd want to be like you in your bunker there just like shutting the world out and he said no he said the difference is obviously when we traveled for for rush it was get to the gig get to the hotel get to the gig he said now i'm enjoying taking photos and being with my wife and spending time in the cities and getting out there so and and then when he put it in that perspective i understood what he was talking about so do you travel in that way now have you been able to do things with your family and take advantage of some stuff in recent years that normally after dedicating your life to rush you weren't wouldn't be able to do um somewhat not to the extent that he does i really admire getty for the way he does travel now uh quite often he'll do a trip for a month and he'll pick some locations that they'll go to and uh and he really it's you know he really gets everything he can out of it he's a birder so he enjoys photographing birds and um, and he's a history buff and, you know, he, he really makes the most out of those trips that he does. Um, we don't travel to that extent. I did a trip, you know, certainly for the last year and a half, we haven't been traveling at all, but prior to that, we did a trip to, um, Italy and I've been to Italy a bunch of times, but what was nice about this trip is my wife and I went with our two sons and their partners and, uh, and we, we spent a week, but it was a whirlwind trip and we really packed a lot of uh, great stuff into it. Um, and the fact that it was family and an adult family, because uh, my kids are, are very grown up. Um, boy, I'll never I'll never forget that. We, you know, lots of great photographs, but the memories I have from the, the nights and the meals and, and the things that we saw and, and the experiences we had, it was really, really uh, indelible. I'll, I'll remember it forever. Let, before I run out of time with you, let me ask you about this guitar because, uh, you have a new Epiphone that is coming out. Tell everybody about the new signature guitar that is, is it released or about to be released? Give us the details about it. Yeah, no, it, it was released a couple of weeks ago. Um, in nine, in two, uh, 2011, I designed, uh, or co-designed a, a Gibson, guitar that you know they wanted me to do a a signature series and it's easy to put your name on it and just stick it out there and you sell it because it's got your name on it but if we were going to do a signature guitar I really wanted it to be a guitar that I would want to buy and uh, we spent quite a bit of time about two years creating this guitar with all the features that I wanted on it which um, you know included a vibrato arm and a piezo pickup so that I could get a, an acoustic guitar sound, uh, coil splitters to, to you know, clean up the sound, make it a little thinner, just really lots of variety. And uh, now, 10 years later, uh, Epiphone wanted to release that same guitar on the Epiphone platform. So a, a much more uh, uh, a different price point, easier access for beginners particularly. And I think they hit hit it out of the park. This guitar is beautiful. It feels great. 
all those features are there. It works great. Uh, and my understanding is they sold out the first production run in two weeks and they're scrambling to, to ramp up for the next, uh, for the next production run. So all things great with, with that. And I had fun doing an ad for it. You know, the, I didn't want to do something with an ad company and slick and all of that stuff. So basically I just wrote copy out about my history with the guitar and what it meant to me growing up to have a good guitar and especially a Gibson that I'd always admired and uh, added some photographs on, you know, final cut and some video. And then we had an editor smooth everything out and make it look real. Um, but I love the fact that it was my creation and we got a team together to do it from my end. And it was very uh, down to earth and very much like me. And I wanted, I wanted it to be sort of a casual conversation conversation with with the listener and um and it worked out great and i think it's really quite unique for anything that gibson does uh you know they have some beautiful slick ads but this was something a little more organic and i think it's worked out great what was your very... the songs those you know that, that also gave me a, a, a place to put kabul blues and spy house in the background with all this stuff and then gibson wanted to uh to to re-release those songs in their full um versions uh so that led to where we are today alex what was your very very first guitar how and how old were you when you got it and do you still have it uh i don't have it it was a kent acoustic guitar it was uh ten dollars my parents bought it for me one year for christmas i think in 1966 and uh, I had that guitar for a year and it was so hard to play. The action was very high on it. And, but I did. I, every day I played it and I asked them for an electric guitar the following year for Christmas. And I got a Kenora, which was um, originally made in Japan for a Canadian distributor. And uh, it was a very inexpensive guitar as well. I think it was $59. Um, and uh, it was a semi-acoustic and it didn't sound particularly great, but I still have it. And I'm, I'm restoring it actually uh, wow. now to, to bring it back to its uh, former, former glory. Like, you know, Getty and I, he had a Kenora bass. We painted our guitars. We were so inspired by Jack Bruce and, and Eric Clapton and their beautiful instruments that were painted in that period in the 60s. So we thought we would do our own. So we painted them day glow green and purple or orange and purple and stuck all kinds of uh, fluorescent tape and things on it. <laughs> it looked ridiculous, but they were totally cool. Uh, and now we've just taken it right down to the wood and I'm going to get the finish back to the way it was. So, you know, can, can you tell us like what your relationship like is now with Getty? Because obviously you've been partners in this thing for so many decades and now, obviously, he's doing some things on his own. You're doing some things on your own. As you know, there's a large segment of your fan base that would love to see at some point you guys do something together in some way, shape, or form. But I also would imagine after working with any musical partner for as many decades as you did, it's kind of liberating and fun to be able to do something outside of the expected confines of what you would do with that person or the umbrella of rush. So I can see it kind of cutting both ways. I'm sure you could appreciate the fans being like, well, we, you know, we need something together. But then at the same token, if you take a step back from it, 
if you've been doing that for your whole life to be able to all of a sudden say, Hey, well, I can do something a little experimental or something that, that you know, maybe that wouldn't fit under the rush umbrella that it's as a musician, that's got to be really feel great to be able to do. So if you can address that a little bit, as far as that balance of trying to keep the rush fans happy, and maybe at some point, if you feel it collaborate with get again versus doing things with Andy and other folks to just express a different side of your of your musical creativity well this whole project uh, this whole envy of none project started out very organically it was just a casual little thing helping a friend out and then it developed into something else and became more serious and uh and it, it is immensely gratifying and satisfying for me as a musician and a songwriter to work in this context because there there is total freedom i get to pursue the kind of sounds that I, I, I think are applicable to the, to the material. So it's a whole different mental exercise for me working on this material. Getty and I started writing together when we were, I don't know, 14 years old, I guess. And, uh, and we are best friends. And I love the guy so much. He's, you know, means so much to me. And, um, and we've had this amazing experience of working together as well as being buddies i talk to ged you know every couple of days or so we we try to get together for dinner that's been a more challenging thing lately but um we we did get out once recently and it's great because mostly we're pals and if there's something that comes up in the future an opportunity for us to do something we'll decide over a cup of coffee what that'll what that'll be but there's no urgency or there's no pre-planned thing now. Um, he's doing whatever he's doing. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And we keep each other informed and stuff like that. But um, God, we had such a great history and did so much great stuff together. It's, it's not really a big deal if for the rest of our lives, we're just best friends, you know? Too I, quick. I, I, I know Rush fans are, are, are uh, a unique bunch and... Uh, and love them. And, and certainly everything that we've done, we've always done to satisfy ourselves before anybody else. And I think Rush fans understood that. And we're always very supportive, very critical at times too, but always supportive. And that was the nature of our relationship with our fans. It was a really good two-way relationship. But I think really Rush ended in 2015. There's no way Rush will ever exist again because Neil's not here to be a part of it. Uh, and that's not to say that we can't do other things and we can't do things that benefit our communities and uh, uh, and all of that. I have lots of plans for that sort of thing that don't you know necessarily include Getty. So, um, you know, I get asked this all the time. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Uh, who knows? Uh, all I know is we still love each other and we're still very, very good friends and we always will be. Yeah, well, and that's extremely important. Okay, tough question for you, Alex. You got a favorite Rush album? After some time has passed and you look back on the catalog, is there one for you that if somebody listening to this right now never heard of Rush, some young kid, like who, who is this, who's this guy, Eddie Trunk, talking to this guy, Alex Lifeson, about this band Rush that he was in? Where, where do you send them? Are, are you a family man? Do you have kids? Yes. Who's your favorite kid? 
<laughs> Good one. <laughs> it's that—that's what it's like, you know. It, if I look back at all our records, uh, there are things that I really love about some of them. There are things that I think we could have done better. There are things that uh, irritate me. It's just like having a kid. Uh, the there's, uh, you know, if I had to pick a, a record that I would say for a non-listener to introduce themselves to Rush, it would probably be Moving Pictures because there's something about that record that's indescribable. It's the energy on it and the way it feels and uh, the way those songs all developed and the cool stories that they became. It's a very cinematic uh, record. Certainly, Grace Under Pressure was a, such a difficult record. If I was talking about that to somebody, who'd never heard us, I would explain what we went through, the, the hard times, the, the, the tough being in the studio working every single day for four months and the weather was awful and, and the, the co-producer was not what we expected and the workload was terrible, but it's all part of that growing process and that leads to this one and this one and this one and this one. Same with Vapor Trails, that's such a dark, uh, sorrowful period in our history, yet the experience of making that record and those songs and how difficult it all was, you know, that it leaves scars, but they're, they're scars that you end up being proud of. By far, Moving Pictures was the easiest, most satisfying, fun record we ever made, but that's not the criteria for, for why you love a piece of music. I think the harder stuff resonates with you as a writer, uh, more than than anything and I got to say Clockwork Angels it came such a long way in that period and represented so many things to us and now in retrospect being the last album that song The Garden being the last song it's the most appropriate last song for a last record that anybody could ever think of so it all seems like it fell into place in a nice way for us well, Nick Raskulinitz is a regular listener of this radio show, so I'm sure he's listening right now and probably loves that you just said that. <laughs> I'm, <Oosh. laughs> I'm going to get a text from him any second saying, go, Alex. I was, <laughs> I was glad that was in there. Um, and final thing, final thing, Alex, and I appreciate your time. You know, a lot of my audience calls and asks me about this. A few years ago, it was announced in Canada that Neil's family was going to have a tribute show for him there. And that seems to have been derailed because of COVID. Were you involved in that in any way? And is that something you'd like to see happen in any way? Oh, I think that was a, a thing between the family uh, and they had their own plans and we had our own plans. And of course, when, uh, when the pandemic started, it was right around the time that we were planning all these things. So it's put all those plans on the back burner and really until we are completely open, we don't really know what the situation is with that. So, uh, so we'll, we'll just remain open to it. Okay, cool. Well, I got to tell you, um, it's, it's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to hear you and it's wonderful to hear you making music. I mean, I, I know I speak for all the fans hearing you play guitar again is a wonderful thing. I hope we get some live. I mean, we'd, I'd love to see you even in a small place. It'd be, you know, Andy is an old friend, Andy Curran, and I loved Coney Hatch. Unfortunately, they didn't make it here in America, but uh, 
you know, they're still around. They did a stream recently that I helped yeah. them out with. And uh, I love Andy to death. And I know he's worked with you for a long time. So I think it's great you're working with him. And I, I can't wait to see where this all goes. And I hope, I know Andy will be goosing you to get out there and play some shows. If I know Andy, he'd probably love to hit the road a little bit. So hopefully yeah, we I, get that I, opportunity. I you know, and I just was thinking too, speaking on the rush side of things, the, the reissues of the catalog have been fantastic. Have you enjoyed doing, you know, those reissues? Have you been actively involved in them or you just let the label do that? But I thought they've been great. Yeah, it's a label thing. We don't, we don't really have uh, a lot to do with it. Um, we we do we are asked for approvals out of courtesy from the record company, but you know it's really up to them what they want to do with that stuff. However, they've done a great job. Uh, I know Moving Pictures. There's big plans for that uh, for this 40th anniversary. So um, yeah, look out for that one. That'll be a good one. Got to get a 25th anniversary on the Victor record to come out, too. I can't believe that's 25 years. That's nuts. I know. I know. It goes so fast. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, uh, Alex, I could talk to you forever. I appreciate you being so generous with your time. And again, everybody check out the Epiphone guitar, Les Paul standard access that's out there right now. You can hear Cobble Blues and Spy House now on Alex's website. As he mentioned, he's on Instagram as well. So hit him up on social media. And I can't wait to see what the future holds. Alex, thank you so much for the time. Great to visit with you. My pleasure, Eddie. Take care. See you soon. See ya. Thank you so much. Thanks to Alex Lifeson. Great to visit with him. By the way, if you are a Sirius XM subscriber, and if you're listening in the U.S. or Canada, I certainly hope you are, you can see video of that conversation. It was all captured over Zoom, and that is available on the Sirius XM app. So you can watch what you just heard if you'd like. Coming up next, we stay in Canada and speak with Mike Levine of Triumph. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.
Welcome back. Eddie Trunk here with you on this week's podcast. We continue our Canadian doubleheader. Mike Levine, bass player of the band Triumph, another great Toronto Canadian trio. Uh, he joins us right now to talk about the 40th anniversary of the band's Allied Forces album, as well as the upcoming Triumph documentary. Here's Mike Levine. We're going to uh, take a second here to welcome our guest to kick off our number two of Trunk Nation here on Sirius XM Volume. He is the bass player from the band Triumph, an old friend, and it's always great to speak with him for a bit. It is Mike Levine joining us right now. Mike, what's going on, man? Hey, Eddie. Trying to survive the heat up here in Toronto. How's it down there? It's uh, pretty sticky and warm in New Jersey at the moment. Uh, you you have a... When I talked to you last, I know you do in the winter, you have a place, is it in Jamaica? Yeah, that's right. Did you spend the winter there again? Uh, yeah, we spent a little less time than usual, but uh, we were worried about getting back in the country with all the border restrictions, all that BS, you know? So... We ended up flying into Buffalo and driving across the border rather than flying to Toronto. <laughs> How's things in Toronto now, Mike, as far as uh, are, are things loosening, getting better there? Here here in the U.S., we're pretty much wide open most places. How are things there? Here, we're just starting, certainly in our province of Ontario, where Toronto is. Uh, as of Friday, we go into, from total lockdown into stage one recovery, so to speak. So, you know... It's kind of like, you know, one from column A, two from column B. None of it makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've been saying that all along This through this whole thing. The mixed messaging across the board has been maddening and just absolutely crazy. Have you been able to get the vaccine, Mike? Yeah, I actually got my two doses. My wife and I are, are, are double dosed now, which is great. Good. Um, that happened Sunday morning. We got our second dose. So that was... Uh, well, you know, I certainly I wish everybody just went for it. It just makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here we're not even, we don't even have a mask mandate anymore. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It feels great. So hopefully you guys will get there sooner than later. So, hey, Mike, yeah. before we talk about Allied Forces and this reissue and what you got going on, I got to ask you this because I'm really, I'm really excited and chomping at the bit to see the Triumph documentary. And I haven't heard much about it or its release. What is the latest on that? Oh, let's see now. Uh, the latest is, oh, a couple of weeks ago, I went in the studio with the film guys to uh, work on the audio portion of the, sound, of the soundtrack, basically, and to approve stuff, and uh, which I did, and then left, promptly left, and let them do their work. Um, and I think they're in the process now of laying in the credits, and then it's finished, uh, I think, I hope. But this, you know, COVID, it's been, you know, not only deadly, but it's certainly been, uh, you know, delayed everything because it's really hard to work. You know, Bagger Films was shut down. Everybody was working from home, which is hard to do when you're editing film and that, you know. So uh, we're just hoping that it'll be done. <laughs> One of these days, we'll, we'll get a message saying, okay, go look at it. Here's a link. Yeah, see, I figured, and I had assumed, and of course I don't know anything about filmmaking, but I had assumed that, because I know that uh, I was interviewed for it a, a while ago, and I know most of the interviews were done a while ago, pre-COVID, so I had figured that during COVID would have been a, a great time that they could have just hunkered down in an edit bay somewhere and, and put it all together, but I guess it doesn't work like that. Yeah, the, you know, the editor was working from home, 
you know, took all his gear out of the edit base at Banger, and then he would have to upload it to Sam Dunn, his co-director. That took hours on the Internet. And then Sam would look at it and send his corrections back, and they'd talk on the phone. And it was like what, what would take, you know, a half hour at, at the edit bay with the, the two guys together took like three days, mm. you know, to, to, to accomplish. So uh, uh, they're back at work, which is good. And um, hopefully that, again, everything was pretty much done. It's just bits and pieces and, and putting in new pictures that had placeholders, as they call them, that kind of thing. So, um I pray we're done, and we'll see the light of day in the fall. And hopefully theaters will come back to a decent capacity. That's what we're looking forward to. Are you happy with what you've seen of it so far, of the footage you have seen and how it's come together? Are you, you, you pleased with what you've seen? I love it. I think it's absolutely a great, a great story of the Triumph journey. You know, it's not just a bunch of interviews with the band and, you know, you know how we did this or you know, whether we got along or not, uh, it's, it really tells a great story. And it's, it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of all-encompassing, and that's why I like it. It's, uh, you know, like I enjoyed watching it. Usually I'd go, oh, boy, that really stinks, or I hate <laughs> that scene. <laughs> but, you know, nothing's perfect, of course. And, uh, but the, the folks that have seen it um, are, are in love with it. They just think it's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's great. Really, that's how that's how it'll be received out there. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see it. I love music. I love documentaries, especially music and rock documentaries. And uh, I, I thought it was great that that Sam and the crew uh, picked you guys to do as a subject for their next one. And I am very much anticipating seeing it. So, of course, when it's out and people can watch it and I can see it, we'll we'll do some stuff around that for sure. So. Uh, it blows my mind all these anniversaries of these records coming up that still feel very new to me or not nearly as old as they are. It seems like every day we're doing something on a 30th or a 40th, 40th anniversary of what is probably my favorite Triumph record, and that is Allied Forces. And I know you are celebrating that with a super deluxe package. Talk a little bit about what you've uh, what you've put together for this. Yeah, um, you know, the Record Store Day people came to us a year ago or up here in Canada and asked us to be, quote-unquote, ambassadors uh, for Record Store Day. Now, we had no idea of really anything about Record Store Day or being an ambassador. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it's really just lending our name to the, uh, to the event itself. And, of course, we all grew up, you know, going to you know, record stores and flipping through vinyl and looking for records to buy. And uh, so we thought it would be, be a good idea for us to do it. And then it'd be like, okay, we need a piece of product to go along with it. <laughs> Some One of the bright boys in the band, I think it was probably me, said, hey, why don't we do a 40th anniversary box set of Allied Forces? Because we've never done a box set. Not thinking about how much work it is to put one together. <laughs> so... It was a uh, it was a long effort, you know. It took uh, geez, I guess it started in November, I want to say, or October, and it wasn't finished until three weeks ago. So uh, the good news, Eddie, was that uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a band called Coney Hatch from Canada. Yes. Oh my God, I love uh, yeah. Coney Hatch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Andy Curran is 
the yep. bass player in, in, in Coney Hatch. And Good Andy friend. Worked for, yeah. yeah, yeah, he worked for Rush for a long time mm-hmm. and was instrumental in putting together their box sets. So we convinced the record company to hire Andy to put it together, which was the best move we ever made in the world because Andy not only is a fantastic guy and a good friend, but he's a big fan. And he was willing to roll up his sleeves and get, get his hands dirty. And he went up at the attic at Metalworks, Eddie, and he'd come down and he'd be sweating and be filthy dirty, <laughs> but he had shots of, shots of all this memorabilia that's stored up there that we had no idea we had. So Eddie was like beside himself excited, and we were excited along with him. But honestly, he, he did 90% of the work. All we had to do was approve it or say, you know, yay or nay on things. So... Um, I got to see it you know, two weeks ago for the first time, and I think it's absolutely fabulous. It is a first-class package. No cheap out, no record company BS around it. You know, it is absolutely sensational. So, in this box set, there is a, a bunch of stuff, as you mentioned. Andy probably sourced all this stuff. Uh, in, you know, photos, tour posters. Uh, handwritten lyric sheets. I'm looking at the rundown of all the stuff. Of course, the album on vinyl. And then uh, I think one of the real interesting things is there is a live, uh, a full live show from the Allied Forces tour, right? Yes. Yeah, that was from uh, Cleveland. I and that is never, that's Forces never tour. been released. I, I was sent a, a link to hear some of that. That never came out before, right? No, not on vinyl. It may have been out on, it's, 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 it's partially an old King Biscuit Flower Hour recording. Okay. We, you know, had, had Bext and uh, it was a radio show, right? So uh, it, was, it, it was pretty amazing. You know, Andy and I did some work on it, and, uh, uh, you know, we were both going, wow, this <laughs> triumph was really hot that night. <laughs> so it came out good. It sounds great on vinyl. The low end is spectacular uh, just because I'm the bass player, but uh, Andy and I agreed on that part. Well, you know, I was just gonna—I was just gonna say that, Mike. Uh, you just said you and Andy worked on the audio. It, just a heads up to the audience: Andy's also a bass player, so I guarantee you the bottom end sounds real good with the two of you guys digging in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a nice looking package. It's a gatefold. It's a double album. It's on uh, 180 gram vinyl, and uh, I think it sounds spectacular myself. But that, you know, again, I'm prejudiced. But again, those who have heard it say, "Wow, this this is really cool." Now I got a little bone to pick with you. Now, not, not now, nothing Uh-oh. against the people that are on the vinyl kick and that are into vinyl. And of course, I grew up with vinyl. I grew up working in a record store. I just love people connecting with music physically. But Mike, I am still to my core a lover, defender, player, buyer of CDs. You did not do a CD version of this, Mike. Uh, nope. Oh, you're killing me. Oh, I'm sorry, Eddie. If I would have known, we would have done one. Just for me. (laughs) Just for you. (laughs) Mike, can you talk? You know, I'm going to send Andy a note and beat him up on it, and maybe the two of you could take five minutes and just go on your computer and whip together a version just for me on CD, because that's that's still my way to listen to music. Um, But I understand... Record store day, want people uh, on this vinyl uh, resurgence. It's it's wonderful, but I I am a defender of CDs to my core, and uh, I I was I was thought you know most of the times there's the CD version or at least they throw a CD in the box with all the other stuff, but but no digital version available of this yet. 
No, we went uh, we went whole hog eighties here, you know. So. <laughs> no seventies, really. Seventies, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, you could do the forty first anniversary on CD for me. There you go. We'll figure something out for you, Andy. I promise. <laughs> Mike, what is, you know, I mentioned when we started talking that Allied Forces is probably my favorite Triumph record. Where does it stand for you in the catalog? How do you feel about it revisiting it 40 years ago? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because every album was my favorite album at one point. You know, you finish an album and it's your favorite album. <laughs> then you go on to the next one, the next one's your favorite album. So uh, uh, I would say overall, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I think Allied Forces was just, uh, you know, when I think back and doing interviews around it, uh, it, it was a comfortable album to make. In other words, we're first time in working in Metalworks, our own studio, so we had the, the uh, benefit. We're beneficiaries of that from a time point of view. Didn't have the clock going and the money going out the door to somebody else <clears throat> for studio time. So we were able to, you know, relax, take our time, um, you know, write in the studio, do a demo and go, wow, that's a piece of garbage or, or wow, that's something we got we really have to pursue. We are onto something there. So from that point of view, uh, just the, uh, the fun we had making the record, uh, no real bad headaches about it. You know, we didn't fight about anything. Uh, and then the acceptance of the record, you know, radio was all over it, as you know, and, uh, and the fans loved it, and oh, you know it spawned a couple of evergreen songs for us that are, are still on the radio today. You know, so uh, uh, a long answer to a short question: Yes, it's probably my favorite album. <laughs> you know, just looking at the arc of the band. So I remember my first Triumph album that I purchased when it was new was the previous record, Progressions of Power, and that was the first time, at least in my area of the U.S that I started to hear Triumph on the radio a little bit with a song on that album called I Can Survive. And I love Progressions of Power as well. And then Allied Forces comes, and to me it was Progressions of Power taken a step further. And the thing that at the time still, and it's still sonically an amazing sounding record, Allied Forces, the drums are so big on it. It's such a big sounding record in addition to the material, that was the thing that I thought was such another step forward for Triumph at the time. So talk about that aspect of it a little bit. Did that come down to the fact that that, that Allied Forces was the first record you made in your own studio? Um, yeah, for sure, because we had the, again, there was the opportunity to play around. Like, we had to get used to the room. And for me, as, as producer... You know, I had to get used to the monitors and the sound. But what we did do with the drums, because there's an empty warehouse next door to where the studio was that we had. So we set the drums up in there and, and biked them. And uh, uh, so it gave the drums this bigness, you know, the ambience of, of almost playing at a hockey rink, you know. And, but you were able to control. It was controllable. It wasn't out of control. So as you added a guitar track or the bass went on, or a vocal even, it ate up some of the space that the drums were taking. So they didn't, they sounded, sounded big, but not to the point where they, I would say, irritated even, you know, which could have happened very easily. So that sure was a, a big step forward for us. Like the bigness, like I said, um, with my buddy Andy, low end was where it was at on that record too. 
And vinyl, you know, it was tough to jam the low end on, but uh, the warp for the low end on vinyl was, you know, incredible. I, I, you know, even on CD, Eddie, no matter what you say, if you AB uh, an Allied Forces record on CD and on vinyl, you're going to love the vinyl a lot better. may not be as convenient, but you're going to love it better. Can I just turn up the bass on my stereo? <laughs> That's what that oh, bass knob know. is for, Mike. <laughs> no, no, what was that button that used to be on there? The loudness button, right? <laughs> I forgot about the loudness button, but of course, I at one point, I had the big equalizer rack. It's, it's what's funny oh. is like all these records that get remastered or, or whatever. I was like, oh, you could do that yourself, man. You just plug in one of those EQ things in your stereo. You got like 20 <laughs> sliders and you can have a, a field day making it however you want to make it. <laughs> hey, uh, let me ask you, <laughs> let me ask you about the song magic power, because to my knowledge and correct me if I'm wrong, on a, and I'm only speaking from a U.S. perspective. You guys being a Canadian band, it could have been very different. But to my re recollection, Magic Power from Allied Forces was the biggest U.S. radio song you had had up to that point. Would that be accurate? Um, not really, you know. Um, I think when you go back to uh, the Just a Game album and you look at Lay It On The Line, for example, like Hold On did very well. You know, it charted top 40 and did really well at album radio. But Lay It On The Line really busted the band at, at album radio, at rock radio. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of top 40, but we, because we didn't care about top 40. It made no difference to us. But that was the song that really put us on the map with radio and uh, in, in 79. So uh, when Magic Power comes along, of course, it's kind of similar to lay it on the line in some ways, right? It's got the, uh, the, the that kind of quiet intro, you know, with the 12 string guitar and, and Rick singing. And it's a uh, uh, different song, obviously, different tempo and everything else. But there was a similarity there, I think, that everybody felt when they heard it. Like you knew it was triumph, basically. Yeah, I mean, for me, maybe it's just the market I lived in, because the other thing about triumph is, Depending upon where you were in the U.S., it was it was very different in terms of the level of success you had. Like like certain parts of Texas, you were way bigger than you may have been, say, in New York back in those days, right? Yeah, the early days for sure. You know, and uh, West Coast we were big, East Coast, you know, on the in the Northeast we were big, but New York area not so big. But upstate New York we were huge. You know, so it's, it's, it was really weird how that worked. But our success. Our success followed our, our success at radio, pretty much. Mm -hmm. you know, that's how it worked. You know, so if we got airplay, you know, we, we had bums in seats. Didn't have airplay, we'd still play, but there wouldn't be as many bums in seats. Yeah, to my recollection, I mean, I, certainly as I, I went back and got just a game and, I, and the earlier records and I heard them, I, I remember laying on the line and all that. But as a kid growing up in the market I did, the first time I heard Triumph was I Can Survive on Progressions of Power. And then when Magic Power hit, it seemed like the things went to a whole nother level in my neck of the woods, so to speak, because that's when it, the band really came on my radar in a big way with, with the Allied Forces record. So so that being said, what do you what is your take on the previous record, Progressions of Power? Did it do what you wanted it to do? Because that's the record in between the two that we're talking about. 
Yeah, we we made a little bit, I guess, uh, a little bit of a left or a right turn, you might call it. Just the game was kind of uh, an experimental record for us. And it was perhaps a little softer overall, a little more progressive at, at, at certain times. Um, but, uh, you know, progressions of power, we decided that, okay, we, we're going to toughen the band up here. You know, there's songs like I Live for the Weekend and I Can Survive. They're just straight-ahead rockers, you know. And uh, Tear the uh, roof off. You know, tear the roof off, exactly. Killer. You know, so, yeah, there, it, was, it was a killer record. It, 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 it didn't do as well as Just the Game, which uh, Just the Game almost went platinum. And uh, Progression struggled to go gold. But I think it was because there was a different vibe about the, the comparison between those two records. There was a different vibe. Uh, but I think that if you took a combo of, to your point, if you took a combo of just a game and progressions, put them together, you you know, and mixed them up a bit, you came up with Allied Forces. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, you are right about even though as a kid, progressions was my really my first triumph record, it not doing as well as the re- record before the record after. And I can remember now that you're saying this, I remember this clearly. The reason I got Progressions of Power at the time and my parents bought it for me was because at the time I got it, it was in what was known as the cutout bin where the overstock <laughs> records were. So I got Progressions of Power, Mike, as a cutout. That, But that, but you know, that obviously any artist did not want to be in that bin, but I got to tell you, there were a lot of records that I would get at my local department store and I bands I discovered through having records in that bin because they were cheaper uh-huh. and it was a way to to experiment and find new music without paying full price. And then if you liked it, then you'd get the subsequent records. So as much as the cutout bin is where you don't want to be on a record back then, it actually, there was a silver lining to it now that I think about it. Right. Well, that's, you know, where when I, you know, frequented record stores on a, every day on a weekend uh, when I was growing up, that's where you go first was the delete bin. You know, <laughs> and anything with a hole punch on it, you know, you look that because it was either a big record that there was overstock or it was a record that didn't do well for whatever reason. But you learned there were some great records that never made it and great artists you never heard of again. And and that's kind of where you, you get the luck of the draw in the music business back then. And I, th- I think even today, you know, you, you got to be good to get lucky. But uh uh, you know, you got to be lucky to be good too. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very tough business. Thank God we were kind of in the right place at the right time. And, and our luck was there, you know, and, and for we younger to take advantage of it. For younger people listening, I have no idea what we're talking about back in the day <laughs> when records came out, if there was too many stocked and it was overstocked and it wasn't selling as much, they would put a hole punch or cut the corner of the jacket off which would signify that it was a cutout, as they called it, and it would go in a special bin that was usually half the price of a normal record at that time because they just needed to get rid of them. And that's where, like Mike said, and where I went uh, and many others, where you would go if you only had limited funds and you wanted to get a new record, you take a chance. And and often I would just make my uh, selection off of what the album cover looked like because that was the only thing you could go according to then. Well, you're absolutely right. I was going to say that. Like, if you, if, it, if the album had a great looking cover, you had to buy it, because somebody obviously thought thought enough of the band or the artist 
to put a great cover on it. And you go, the music can't be all that bad with a cover that looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I, you know, that was a couple of things that I always look for, you know. And so just to hold, hold the record. God, I miss doing that. You know, well, you got a hell of a box. You got a hell of a box that people can hold uh, right now with this Allied Forces uh, Super Deluxe coming out. So, so where do people go, Mike, that are listening that want to order this? Is there a central location? Are you guys selling it directly? Is it in stores? How do they get it? Well, it's it's all part. Of, it's a record store day exclusive. So the only stores that have it are independent record store day type stores. Um, and not all of them are going to carry it, obviously, but it's a limited edition run. And, uh, you know, you got to call ahead and make sure they have it. Because, you know, the last thing I want people to do is, is show up in a store and go, no, we, we never had that. It's too expensive or we couldn't get it or whatever. But uh, our advice to everybody is to call ahead or check our website. There's a, a, a list of all the stores uh, you can go by area or by area code, and you can check uh, you can check stores. Now you're still going to have to find out the phone numbers of those stores and whether they have the record. But all of the record store day record stores partic- that participate uh, are are there. There's a, a, a link to whatever wherever it goes. I haven't been there, but I'm told it works fine. <laughs> Triumphmusic.com is the website. And the, now I'm getting a record store day. I'm getting a date of June 12th, which is, of course, very soon, and July 17th. So there are two record store days. And is this is this in Canada and the U.S., both, one or the other? Because we have listeners in both. So for clarity, is this Canada only or, the, or America as well? No, it's, it's both, Canada and America, I guess because of – COVID, a lot of projects got delayed that were being done for Record Store Day. So they decided to do two, two what they call drops. So whatever, you know, there's however many, there might be 100 titles that are Record Store Day type uh, uh, projects that are going to be in stores on the 12th. And then another 100 or 150 or however many will be, will be let out of the cage on the 17th and be in stores then. Got it. Okay. Triumphmusic.com is where you want to get all your information. 40th anniversary, super deluxe edition of a truly great record, uh, Allied Forces from Triumph. Hard to believe it is 40 years old. Mike, just in in wrapping up, um, documentary then hopefully coming by the end of the year. And, you you know, I know, and I've always given you guys credit for this. I've always said that as much as we love bands and wish they'd continue forever, some bands stay too long at the party, need to know when to say when. You guys did that. You knew when to say when and essentially effectively are retired, but still all friends. But there's no plans for that to change. You don't have plans to play live and do shows or tour at all, right? Uh, no, no. I mean, you know, we do talk about, you know, if there's a special event of some kind that we can contribute to by playing a song or two, that we we consider something like that. But as far as doing it, you know, the, the big tour and all that, it's not, it's not in our cards at all, I don't think. We're just a little bit too uh, too old, for lack of a better word, to do that. Well, look, I mean, I, again, I give you credit for acknowledging that because there's nothing worse as a fan of rock music for me 
than to see bands go out there as much as you wish they'd go on forever and be a shell of what they once were, uh, playing to tracks, lip syncing, you know, just a shell, not even yeah. real. So, so that's I'd re- I I never want that at the expense of continuing when you should just know when to end. And the legacy of Triumph, just going back and listening to this old stuff, is just incredible. Documentary coming, and I guess most importantly, the three of you are all good friends again, right? You're all on good terms. Yes, sir. We just actually were together on the weekend to sign some stuff and and, and shoot some video, and uh, uh, all we did was laugh, Eddie. It's like. Uh, well, you were with us in Toronto at that yeah. when we did that. That you know, you saw it. It's like we're just we're we're, we're nuts. Like doing an interview with the three of us is almost impossible because all we do is laugh. <laughs> yeah that that was um, that was early on in the uh, that was the early on in the history of this particular show. I'm coming up on 40 years doing radio, which is nuts. But this show has existed for about four or five years on this, and this channel has. And that was really, that was in the first year of the existence of this channel volume. And I went to Toronto and we have a Sirius XM as a studio there. And one day I did a full live show with Bob Ezrin. And the next day, the three of you guys were nice enough to get together and do a full show with me. And I remember we did it at, at, it was the studio, but it was like a house somewhere, right? Right. Yeah. It was on a street called Jarvis Street. I can't remember the name of it even now. Yeah. yeah, it's like little little studios in a house. I think they did like either TV work or film work or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Usually. Yeah, that was a fun yeah. time. And then speaking yeah. of Andy Curran, bringing it full circle, that night I went to dinner with Andy and he picked me up and we were driving through Toronto and I we passed Massey Hall. And of course, I'm also a Rush fan. And I remember telling Andy, stop, stop. That's where all the world's a stage was done. And he let me get out of the car and took a photo of me in front of the Massey Hall sign. It, at the time, I think they were renovating it. Is it still, is it still yeah, it's, open? It's, yeah, it's just, about, it's just about done. I mean, it's been a long project. And uh, well, the place was kind of falling down. So, um, you know, a bunch of really good-hearted, music-loving people put up a lot of the dough. Because it's taking, you know, I don't know, 15 or 20 million bucks to fix the place up. Wow. Uh, but, you know, the sad part for us, you know, like growing up in Toronto, you always wanted to play Massey Hall, and we never did play Massey Hall. Is that right? Yeah, we had a show show book there. It was really our first, you know, legitimate concert in, in Toronto. It was pretty much sold out, you know, when tickets went on sale. And a couple of weeks later, we get a notice from the fire marshal saying we can't use pyro there. And we went, well, hang on a sec. We played every bar of the city. We played every high school, every college, played some, some actual quite big shows, but not really, you know, free ones. <laughs> and we always use pyro. So our first, our first shot is we're not going to use pyro. And we went to CPI, the promoter, and said, uh-uh, we're not playing Let's move wow. it to Maple Leaf Gardens. And he said, are you crazy? You guys are nuts. But <laughs> So we talked them into it, and we played Maple Leaf Gardens, and, you know, they configured it for 10,000 seats, and we sold them all. Went from 2,500 wow. seats to 10,000. So it was uh, – but I still miss not playing Massey Hall. That's all. That blows my mind. And and the other thing that blows my mind about you guys as far as playing live, and, and if correct me if I'm wrong, but you never, ever toured or shared a show with Rush, right? Correct. Yeah, we never did. Never That's did. crazy. The only time Two. we ever, ever saw the Rush Boys was in airports, you know, 
usually at O'Hare because everybody's making a connection there for to go somewhere. Right. <laughs> so we'd, we'd, we'd chat, you know, a little bit and then go get our flights. And that was pretty much it. You know? but, yeah, uh, that no, always blew my together. mind. Two, two, two legendary Toronto trios and never, ever did a show together anywhere. And, and sadly, you know, well, you guys are basically retired and then obviously losing Neil, that, that opportunity will never happen. It's unbelievable. That's true, you know. That is true. So well, Mike, weird. I, I never understood why that never happened, but it didn't. So, yeah. what do you think? Yep, it is. Well, listen, Mike, it's great to visit with you. Please send my best to to Gil and Rick and everybody. Check out the Allied Forces 40th anniversary record store day, June 12th, July 17th. More information at triumphmusic.com and looking forward to the documentary when uh when it's when it's ready and it's out and I get a chance to see it I'm sure we'll be talking again. All right, great Eddie. Thanks a lot. Always always great to be with you. You too Mike. Take care. We'll talk soon. Okay, buddy. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, thanks to Mike. Again, as I said earlier, the documentary it's now been announced will be coming out in the fall on Triumph. Greatly looking forward to that. The Allied Forces special edition is out now. Thanks earlier to Alex Lifeson as well. Look forward to that new music from him and see what the next page in his music career looks like. And thank you for listening to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Again, it's available every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast, totally free. Be sure to subscribe and uh, make sure you listen. And be sure to join me for Trunk Nation on Sirius XM Volume Channel 106. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and you're not already on board, come on board and join us for Rock Talk every day, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Channel 106. Nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern. Anything you want, anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. And again, the Alex Lifeson interview, there's video available. There's video for some of these interviews you can only get on the app if you're a SiriusXM subscriber. So I hope you join me if you are not already listening daily on Trunk Nation on volume. Don't forget there's a sixth SiriusXM show. That's on Mondays, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern on Channel 39, Hair Nation. The terrestrial radio show, the website, the social media. Keep up with everything going on through the social media. Thanks to Joel Pollack for producing, and uh, I'll see you guys next Thursday, hopefully on the radio every day, but if not, on the podcast here next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Have a good week. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hop, hop, hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?